0: Coming to you from North Central Ohio, we share with you the Voice of the Nazarene, a week-by-week venture into the Word of God sponsored by the Bucyrus, Ohio, Church of the Nazarene. We join our pastor, Reverend Ray LaSalle, and the Voice of the Nazarene. Romans chapter 1 contains the three great I Am's of the Apostle Paul. He said, I am debtor. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, and I probably could add to the otherwise. He said, I'm also, as much as within me, I'm ready. I am ready to preach to those who are in Rome also. Then the one that I'd like to focus on this morning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth that text happens to be a personal testimony but it is also a public statement or maxim as a personal testimony it's the property of Paul who was an apostle to the Gentiles as a public statement, it belongs to the church And to every individual Christian of all ages It belongs to us and I want to look at Paul's personal testimony first He was a man that had many opportunities in his early, earlier life He was a freeborn citizen of Tarsus his native city it gave him standing among the Romans he was educated in probably the most well-known schools of his time it gave him knowledge it gave him honor among the great thinking Greeks he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and he was able to trace his genealogy all the way back to the tribe of Of Benjamin. He was also a Jew of the strictest sect. He was a student of the notable Gamal of Jerusalem. On the vicious side, he was a zealot for the traditions of his fathers, and that gave him high honor and high position among the kinsmen of the flesh. Now, you who are a follower of Dr. Phil on television, Phil McGraw, when he really gets uptight and he's about to land his plane, he'll look into the camera and he'll say, Now, when we return from the next commercial, I want to put some verbs in my sentences. In other words, I'm going to drive the truth home. And just for a few minutes, I'd like to put some verbs into this text. I want you to know the whos. You see, Paul had had a very remarkable conversion on that Damascus road. Knocked down from his Syrian steed, lying there in the dust, looked up in the blinding light. Others may have not heard, they may have not recognized, they may have not seen. But Paul had a testimony and he looked up literally into the brightness of that light and asked the question, who art thou? The answer that echoed back from the heavens, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And his next astounding question was, what would you have me to do? I'll tell you the answer that came back broke and melted and transformed the life This man by the name of Saul, from being a proud Jew persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, he was made into a humble Christian and began to defend the very faith that he had been trying to destroy. Very amazing to me, he changed from a murderer to a minister. He was doing the very thing that you've seen happening over in Afghanistan. With their hands behind their back and a bullet going through the back of their head and the front of their face blowing out. He was a murderer. But I'll tell you, when he came into the influence of the gospel of Christ, it was transforming. You want to know whose he belonged to? I'll let you know in verse... One, he said, I or two, he said, I'm not ashamed Laying on that Damascus road If you want to question who Saul belonged to from that point on He said, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me There was never a question again who Whose that Paul belonged to We know that he belonged to the great king I'm a debtor, I'm ready to preach And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, as a young man, this transformation took place. Now we're reading 30 years later, he gave his testimony of the state of his feelings regarding the gospel. And in the meantime, he's had many opportunities to test his faith and to compare the gospel with all the other religions of the world. That brings me to my second verb, the where. I want you to see where his faith was tested, where all the comparisons were made. First of all, he made his way out of the great desert of, that we call Arabia. For three years he lived there and he prayed. He studied the word and he thought things over. He looked over his past and he saw the present and how God had changed him. No doubt he's on the Horeb side of the mountain, and he's viewing Sinai's bleak peaks. And uh, he's rereading all the Hebrew scriptures, and as he reads, he's amazed that he finds Christ in all of the Bible. And at last he emerges from three years alone in the wilderness, muttering under his breath, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He makes his way now up to Jerusalem. It's the headquarters for all religion. He'll face rejection of the church. I mean, the church wanted nothing to do with him. They didn't trust him if it hadn't been for Barnabas. But he meets religiosity there. He looks upon all the gorgeously robed priests of, of Aaron. And he listens to the singing sons of Levi and the solemn splendor of the temple worship. And he compares the gospel of the Jews in their own home headquarters of Jerusalem. And he saw they only had the scaffolding, but that Christ had the entire building. He saw that they had the shadows, but Christ had the substance. Those Jews had form, but they didn't have any power. When he walked away, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." Even in its headquarters of Jerusalem, it's better than what they have to offer. Now he stands in Ephesus. Follow his trail. He's standing under the shadow of the great temple of, of Diana. Perversion of religion. There they said a great black object had fallen from the heavens, and they had it, that image of whatever it was inside of the temple. And they're worshiping this object that they really nobody had seen. Their girls, they would offer a thousand young virgins as prostitutes to the goddess of Diane every year. And this was the place of sinuality, a place of immorality. And they would attract young men into the temple worship. And Paul stood there and he compared the true sacrifice the Son of God who had come from heaven, not a black object, and that Christ had come and for 33 years had worn skin and walked the Roman roads, transforming lives. And he compared the difference and he said, I'm not ashamed. He came to bring holiness of heart and came to bring purity and not immorality and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now he arrives in Philippi, It's the great city of commercialization. It's where men are too busy to go to the place of prayer. They tried to gather a crowd, he and his cohorts, and eventually had to go down to the river where some women were and shared with him the gospel. Walking the streets there in Philippi, a girl began to follow them, a fortune teller. Paul turned and cast the demons out, and she was transformed, and when she was... Her masters lost their financial gain And so they took Paul and scourged him Put him in jail without even his supper But it didn't didn't pay to put the man of God in prison He might have a captive audience And they got down there in the darkness of the dungeon And Paul and Silas broke out into a hymn of praise And God literally through them turned that prison Into a revival meeting In fact, the matter of the jailers, when he came, took them home and they turned his house into an inquiry room and gave an altar call and baptized the entire household. Paul's about to leave the city of Philippi and as he's about to leave, he looks around and is quite amazed at the little handful that he had to start a church with. A former showgirl, a seller of purple, and the jailer's house but they were so divinely transformed, he whispered, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation. Thank God for that. Now he's on to Thessalonia. It's the city of mysticism where the magicians and the wizards and and the witches had their own school where they studied witchcraft and and, uh, the darkened world of the damned and they would try to bring in satanic worship into their style of mysticism. He began to preach, and he told them about the true miracle worker. And as he did, lives were changed, and it wasn't long they dismantled their school, they fired their faculty, they dismissed their students, and they brought all of their library of witchcraft in and had a bonfire. I believe when the smoke of that fire went up of that Library of uh, magical arts. I believe Paul had a shouting spell, and in his heart he said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Fact of the matter, he uh, he wrote about it, wrote several books to him, and then he's at Athens. What a what a city! It's the city of intellectualism. Now, can the gospel of Christ stand up against the intellects? The intelligency. I mean, the crude little gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, you're in the city. You're going to have to go up to Mars Hill and you're you're going to see the great thinkers and listen to them as they're reasoning together. They're disciples of Socrates and Plato and, and Aristotle and the Epicureans and the Stoics. And I mean, they're the wise acres. They're the wise guys of their time. The only thing they ever did was just sit around and tell their religious stories and listen to new ones. They thought they had the true worship. They thought they had it all. They never ever forsook any ancient god. And nearly every day they were adding a new shrine and a new idol. It is said they had more than 300,000 different idols as you walk their streets and their boulevards. Now they would meet at Mars Hill and just in case they would overlooked one and they didn't want to hurt the feeling of, of one of those gods, they put up a stone and inscribed on it to the unknown God and Paul stepped up and said, can I tell you about him? I know him. And he began to tell them about the God that created the heavens and the earth, screwed the stars into its sockets and reached over and hit the power generator and turned on the sunlight and how God created the earth and made man in his own image. Silenced the crowd. They were dumbfounded and some, the Bible said, believed. And he walked away from the most intelligent city of his time and said, the gospel worked here. I'm not ashamed of it. Now he's at Corinth. It's the pleasure world. Those long-haired men and short-haired ladies had abandoned themselves to the tendency of their fallen natures. Denying the validity of all moral restraint and selling themselves to fleshly delight. And Paul began to watch them get saved. Their slogan was have a wife to bear children and have a mistress to take care of your needs and have a prostitute for fun. Now they're getting saved and their lives are getting changed. And Paul sat down and he wrote a catalog of all of their sins and all of the sinners. And then when he finished it, he put it at the bottom, and such were some of you. But you've been sanctified, you've been justified. That's what he wrote. And you've been washed. And was right here in this pleasure soaked, sin rotten city that he wrote down in permanent writing I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It even works among the most immoral crowd, it never fails. He said, I think I'll stick with it. And then he contemplates a trip to Rome. It's the great power city and the power center, Rome, where all of the politics are and where all the corruption is. There's the seat of Caesar's golden palace and the forum of the Senate. It's a place where justice and, and power emanate. And he looks forward to the possibility of facing Nero. He's addressing the senate, or he'll be rotting in a dungeon in the imperial city. But he thought, I believe the gospel in comparison will outdo the Rome. In fact, the no matter wasn't long. He began to get converts even in Caesar's own court. Some of his own workers begin to get saved within the palace, and it's there that he says, "I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome, for I've seen it work." It's never failed, and I'm not ashamed. And may I just stand here as a kid? I I take uh, no credit in anything. Anything I've said, somebody else has said at some point, I always walk out and say, God, anything that might come through my mind and flow out to the people, give it the credit to whoever came up with it. I want you to get all the glory. I want the people to get the help, and let me be nothing more than a channel. And as a channel, I say to you, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I believe it can accomplish at Bucyrus everything that it needs to accomplish. Whether it's the intellectual crowd or the immoral crowd or whatever crowd, I believe the gospel can change human lives. I believe it can change the Veda. I believe we can change Galleon and, and I believe Marion and Mansfield and wherever around this area. Those watching by live streaming by telecast, the power of the gospel can transform and it can change. But I want to skip over to the public statement. It's a maxim. It means it's for whosoever will. In every age, the church must meet the challenges of its day. Jesus Christ is on trial anew with every renaissance. The gospel of Christ is questioned new by each succeeding philosophy and every first generation of scientists they want proof is Christ really who he says he is we may pass by the issues of past generations but it simply calls it up to be tested again and again there's the intellectual test did you know that God gave man a mind and made him a thinking thing don't condemn a man because he thinks and he wants to understand the how and the why of the gospel. God made us to think. I think we ought to condemn both superstition and skepticism. Superstitious accept unsupported theories. while the skeptic will not believe even when the evidence is sufficient. But I believe Christianity requires and depends upon acceptance of the Bible as the supreme will and word and mind of God. It tells us how man can be changed. It lets us know the creation of the world and of the universe and the power of God. And now in the present day, this faith must stand the test of modernism. And Can the gospel of Christ stand the test of its foundation? I believe it can. The very fact the Bible meets the requirement of the intellect better than the evolutionary theories, both ancient and modern. Evolution at its best is a conglomeration of superstition and skepticism. But the Bible intellectually is consistent. It shares with us a divine creator. It shares with us a design behind the origins of our universe. And it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so I believe the Bible and I believe the gospel stands up against thinking and against the thinkers of this world. What about, what about the social test? Who are the men and women who fill the ranks of the church of God throughout the ages? How do they compare with their contemporaries? I mean, the world has numbered Christians as among the goat skin and the sheep skin, and uh, they account them as social failures, but I want you to know they're the salt of the earth. Think of Abraham among the Canaanites. Think about Lot among the Sodomites. Moses among the Egyptians and Daniel in the court of Babylon. The Maccabees among the apostate Jews and the renegade uh, 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 Gentiles, the 12 among the apostles. Think about Paul at Corinth and Polycarp over here at Smyrna and Savonarola in Florence and Hesse down in Mohebe and Luther in Germany and think about fox and wesley in england every one of them stood out and through them the grace of the gospel began to change their countryside a worldly minded man said i don't understand how the church survives they just put out a call and they invite anybody to come they they invite people who are nothing more than failures politically and financially and morally and every which way. And they take them in and said, I belong to a lot of secret societies. And our societies, we only invite people that we think fit the membership and the rest of them we pass out. But the church invites everybody. Do you know why? Because we have a gospel that we believe that can change bad men into good men and make saints out of sinners, and by the time God gets through, he makes the best people in the world who've been converted by the gospel of Christ. Before you make your comparison, always include the saints among those you're comparing them with. That's what the apostle Paul is saying here. They stand head and shoulders above others. I talked with somebody the other day, and and they were very anti-church, but they said, you know, where we live, we would rather live near Christians We feel safer at night than we would the blasphemous and the rioters and the rough of our society. There's something about the gospel that tames the human heart of mankind. And then the gospel of Christ has stood the practical test. Have you ever gone to one of these auto shows and every person that gets up, want to represent the automobile and the automaker where they're from, and this has got more beautiful, graceful lines than any other, and the next, look at the size and the comfort that it offers, and the next talks about its price tag. Well, somebody wrote a letter to Rolls Royce, and they said, you never send a car to our great auto shows. We want to know why, and furthermore, we'd like to know how much horsepower your engines have. And they finally wrote a letter back after being written to about five or six times. They said, well, we don't need to go to the auto shows. Our car sells without it. And as far as the horsepower is concerned, it's adequate. Now I'm wanting to simply say the gospel of Jesus Christ is adequate for every situation. We don't have to brag about it. We don't talk about its beautiful lines or how much power or anything else. It's simply that it works. And then there's one other test. It's called the test of time and kingdoms have come and monarchs have fallen but the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and it's still well here's another verb and that's the why why is he not ashamed because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth even the drunkard can be changed even the harlot down there in her den can be changed it takes a publican from his receipt of customs a man by the name of of Matthew, transforms him into a preacher. It takes a Jerry McCauley over here in Chicago who had been a river thief and made a missionary out of him and he started a missionary, a mission for the down and the outer. It took a Bud Robinson from poverty and disgrace and unknown and stuttering and made him a lifelong pure man who graced the gospel and became a great holiness thinker. It works. The gospel gets results. It breaks the power of counsel sin for everyone that believeth. It asks no quarters from sin and offers done. It reaches the death of human depravity. It's the universal remedy for sin. Jesus came to save people from their sins and he's doing it. I believe Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and guess what? He's doing it. He came to bring his own church through the tests and the trials and into the mansions of heaven. and One by one we're burying those folk and it's racking up a great populace on the other side. He's still doing it. He's never yet been matched. There's no one like him. He's the savior to the uttermost. Do you realize that man is trying to capture the power and convert it to usefulness? Do you know that's why they take coal and throw it into a a furnace, they're trying to transform the power of that coal and convert it over to heat. Have you ever driven along the rivers and seen the great atomic where they're trying to transform the atom over into energy and electricity? Watch the smoke from the great smokestacks. Have you ever noticed how man wants to harness the flowing current of the river and somehow convert it over to power that's usable. Have you noticed how people put up windmills and they're trying to catch the flow of the great current of the wind and convert it over to energy? We try to capture sun rays from out of the sky and I've watched them now, I've driven by miles and miles of solar panels. They're trying to capture that heat of that sun And that power, and give us a power that we can use in our homes. And yet, God in his gratefulness and graciousness and grace, he offers his power to convert you and I into citizens of usefulness. The power. No wonder Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power. It's the power to transform people. In the believers. Father, thanks for being a part of the Voice of the Nazarene. Visit us every Sunday at 9 a.m. with BNC's pastor, Ray LaSalle. For more information regarding BNC, visit BucyrusNazarene.org.